0: It's when i was with rick warren and i was uh i was in los angeles at a film premiere with Ann Chuch's people mm-hmm. and i was at a dinner the night of that uh premiere and um the guy ran uh staples center was there and um he, he and i'd known him a little bit he said hey uh you two's there U uh, twos tomorrow night at uh staple center and you want to go well, you can have our box. And I said, absolutely. I ne- never heard it. So I, I called up I called up Rick and said, Hey, you got to get up here because we can, we got backstage passes afterwards and everything. We can go see Bono. And, and so, um, uh, so all that happened. I'll try to cut to the chase. And then afterwards we're down, down below, uh, the arena. And, um, and all the all these Hollywood glamour I were there. I mean, Chris Rock and and Brad Pitt and all of these other people in this kind of green room. And I knew if if we had to wait until to see Bono uh, until he came into that room, we'd never get a chance to spend time. So I went out in the hallway, and, and here comes Bono with a couple of people. And I said, "Hey, my name is Pep Jackson. You don't know me, but you know Rick Warren because they had correspondence." Says is Rick here. And he went up to Rick and uh, took Rick's hand like this, put it to his chest, and just went like this for about 30 seconds without saying anything, Mm -hmm. almost uncomfortable. And uh, then we had maybe 10 or 15 minutes with Brad Pitt and Chris Rock and all these people circulating around us. I think there were four of us there with Bono, and we were praying and other things i mean it was like a surreal experience and then so so bono and i became uh kind of friends at that time and i was with him in in uh, davos for an hour and a half having a beer in a in a uh, bar and talking about eugene peterson because eugene peterson he told me there's one man in the world he wanted to meet and there was a whole bunch of other stories around that time in davos but I said i think i can make that happen
1: peb jackson is a living legend there are few men in this hour for whom this could be said peb is incurably positive he is uncommonly attracted to risk peb is wild and unfettered and as a man at 76 that's been so for decade after decade it leads me to wonder how a man recovers this enduring masculine quality Most of Peb's extraordinary life, he would be slow to share because he's a man who listens far more than he talks. He's a man of the questions. His decades of intentionally cultivating questions have recovered for him and those entrusted to his care a wonderfully disproportionate share of the treasure map that leads to life for the masculine soul. Peb would never tell you It was him who established and cultivated an enduring friendship between U2's Bono and Eugene Peterson, author of the Message Translation of the Bible. It's reasonable to say over his seven decades, he has fostered more connections between leaders of leaders in the global Christian community than any other man in modern history. And yet, in all of it, Perhaps Peb's most distinguished and attractive quality is his cultivation and practice of spending extended time with God, his father, with nothing else, no book, no phone, no people, just God. His life in some intimate ways embodies the words of A.W. Tozier, where he says, the man who would know God, must give time to him. He must count no time wasted, which is spent in the cultivation of his acquaintance. He must give himself to meditation and to prayer, hours on end. Friends, this is Pep Jackson. So slow down, sink in, and receive with me the treasure of an intimate conversation with a man who has consented to becoming a king in whom God has entrusted much of his kingdom. Let's dive in. Where does your heart go with this hour on the earth for Pep Jackson? You know, um, I think I've only
0: mentioned this once. I'm not even sure I mentioned it to Sharon, but I had an epiphany um, a couple of months ago, and it went something like this. It wasn't a deathbed kind of thing. Well, Lord, if I survive this, I'm going to mm-hmm. I'm going to serve you. It was similar to that, however, cuz I remember thinking those thoughts. And then my next like um, hey, if I were to get out of this, I want to do the Lord's work in whatever way I possibly can and I got to thinking I wouldn't change anything. Mm. I mean, is that an interesting thought? I it's mean, it's not like like I want to change things so i can serve i i had a i had a, a powerful feeling of of um it's okay you don't need to do a whole bunch of new stuff mm. to serve me it's okay and um and just keep on being faithful and i was thinking that what we all want to be is a good stewards of whatever God's given us, mm-hmm. regardless of what it is, money, opportunities, access, experience, abilities. And that's. I think that's exactly where I've been trying to live my life for the last few years in particular. And I I've never really tried to articulate yes. that epiphany, and I don't mean to make any more out of it than... Uh, because a um, you know a deathbed thing, kind of commitment to serve. Yes. Finally,
1: well, that wasn't it. But I hear in it the relief of a settledness in the seventh decade of your life to yeah. not have mostly regret, but yeah. actually have mostly awe of you can look back and say as much as I've been able to, I've, I am living and have lived a with God life. Yeah. I've been at my post yeah. and I've stewarded this the best I can yeah. with what I've been given. Yeah. And that's a, that's a high mark in holiness yeah. of, as far as what yeah. we all want in the yeah. Christian life. And so for men listening that are 50s, 40s, 30s, 20s, it makes yeah. me go, how do I point my ship yeah. at those coordinates? Yeah. that bearing on the compass.
0: Yeah, and that's uh, that's an interesting point in reference to um you know what so here at 76 what do you think when you're in the prime and you can uh, ride your bike from here to Aspen in a day or you can go out for 5 or 6 days um and setting up a tent and, and hunting and getting into that but you don't do that anymore mm-hmm. necessarily. Right. But at the point where you do that, and you're feeling almost maybe invincible is not the issue, but when God's given you the ability physically and mentally to do hard stuff um, uh for me uh, when I was at that point in life i was um i didn't I didn't necessarily talk about the exploits much because I felt like um it was a special gift to me, mm-hmm. and that I wanted to trade. I wanted I wanted to steward that gift, and do as many hard things as I could do. And and uh, and I think my message to the next generation, or whatever generation it is, is that um, if you have a sense of what God has given you, and maybe it gave me the ability, the desire to go out and do hard stuff like that. But maybe for somebody else, it's uh, it's not necessarily doing intense physical hard stuff. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's taking a risk in your marriage or your family or your, or maybe leading a Bible study or maybe working and uh, helping uh, volunteer in, a, in something in the city that's out of your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure adventure and taking a risk is just my orientation to risk or
1: yours necessarily. You're right. Risk and adventure are words that are synonymous with masculinity. They take many different forms, but masculinity is always equated with risk and adventure, like the stories of the scriptures, right? It's story after story of risk and adventure. So help our friends know, if you had to give us a snapshot to know um, who is Pep Jackson? Yeah, and where did he come from? How did yeah. he become this man of adventure and risk? Mm-hmm.
0: So I was uh, I was born in Lawrence. Uh, my dad was a KU, he was a professor and uh, student, and he uh, I don't have much of a memory. Those are real early years. Uh, by the way, my uh, my parents had nothing. They probably lived in a trailer house about that s- half the size of this, two hundred square feet. Early memories of my father, who was, uh, it was a kind of, it was an intellectual historian, and just he um, was a major feature in my life. And the whole orientation of the Quakers' community, um, the uh, commitment to uh, gathering, mm-hmm. uh, the commitment to fellowship, the commitment to church, the commitment to orthodoxy. Mm. He would pick up the the Bible I can remember and uh, open it up and one of his favorite verses was um uh, the word of God is more powerful and and sharp than a two edged sword. Mm. That's a rough translation. And it just it um and then it goes on and talks about it, it separates sinew from bone and and everything that the word of God is so powerful. And it's real. You can trust it. I mean, just remember him emphasizing you can trust the word of God. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I grew up never really having a, a major uh, question about uh, about my sense of uh, who God was and what scripture meant. Mm-hmm. Because my father was such a magnetic character in reference to his what he believed in everything. And he was gentle. He was a gentle Quaker, mm-hmm. intellectual, mm. and uh, had a great influence on me in reference to how I understood
1: faith. So when you came from those roots, um, God obviously led you into stories of adventure. So yeah. many of those were physical adventures and mountaineering and um, and beyond, can you take us into one of those stories, just to to get in the specific of the seventy six years, a yeah. story that you recall that stands out, that when you look back, it it really um, was defining on some yeah. way on masculine initiation. Mm-hmm. Take us there. My
0: dad had a
1: sense of adventure,
0: even though, you know, he was this um, professor and everything. But he had a sense of adventure, and he would take us. Uh, we even uh, backpacked around the Tetons, and we and we would go uh, to Oregon and these wild places in Oregon. And then we climbed uh, we climbed Longs Peak. Mm-hmm. There was a cable route hmm. at one time on okay. the north face, and you could hand over hand up the cable. I'm sure insurance came along and said right. you took can't that do cable that out. Yes, <laughs> and uh, so he took my brother and I up there. And um, halfway up, um, somebody said, hey, there's some people, there's two guys climbing the diamond, Mm -hmm. which is the vertical 2,000-foot dead vertical drop on the east face of Longspeak. And um, you can see it from the east. Mm -hmm. It's just cleaved in the stone. And so I inched my way out on a little ledge and— Looked around the corner, and and the mist and clouds were flowing up, almost kind of malevolent. Mm. And a thrill went through me like a, an electric shock. Like that's where I want to be. It uh, it so it, it gives me a chill to think about it because it was both the fearsome nature of it, but the attractive nature of being in that kind of a place, and uh, and being able to be there. And uh, and then we we climbed on up, and uh, came back down. A thunderstorm came up, and uh, we're racing across a rock field below the north face there, with lightning bolts striking over here and over here. And I'll never forget that. I'll never forget running like crazy, like almost mm. for our lives. It was um, it was not smart. <laughs>
1: And you're exposed. When you're in that high country above alpine, the power of lightning. Yeah. I've been in few places in my life that are And I can still
0: feel, I mean, I can still see and feel those lightning bolts that were striking over here. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, why why that? I mean, it wasn't as misspent youth. I don't think my parents dropped me on my head when I was an infant or anything. (laughs) But something happened that, uh, that appealed to me. And there's lots of other things I mentioned in the introduction to this book that you might check yeah, out. Yeah, dangerous faith. Yeah, and uh, something happened to me that uh, that caused me to want to uh, read about things like that and to do things like that. And I think uh, for people, I don't know if this is too long of an answer, but I think for people that have a, a you know, why do why do people like why do guys like Books on adventure. What are like, like spy novels and and other things like that, like uh, true crime mm-hmm. novels that that um, that may furrow your brow, may intensify your heart rate. Mm. Um, something beats in the heart of of a man, I believe, and men are not the only thing. I mean, men, women certainly get this sense. But what is it that it appeals? And a lot of people are satisfied just reading about it. Mm -hmm. I was, uh, I can remember looking at at the maps of the Brooks Range in Alaska and places like that and saying, that's exactly where I want to go. Wow! So that's, Mm -hmm. that all fits together in a mosaic, I think, of of trying to put things together. But what is it that leads Mm -hmm. you to make a decision to even take the step to do that when you're a boy Mm in Kansas? And you don't have a mentor necessarily. You just you start fitting pieces together that allows you to think about even taking the first step. Like I took the first step to look at the east face of, mm-hmm. of Long's Peak. Peb, you mentioned
1: the term mosaic. And I see this mosaic of adventure and risk in your life. There's another layer that is interwoven of mosaic that I see that feels even more significant as I observe your life. I've had the privilege of observing many lives of really good men. And and I say this, I've thought about this a lot. I say this with deep conviction and, and confidence that I don't know that there has ever been a man in Christendom that's more connected with people whose hearts are turned towards God around the globe. And and here's these two layers of it, is the time in history. We Mm -hmm. live in a connected time in history, right? 100 years ago, 500 years ago, that simply wasn't available. A a one, a a global economy, a global community, the ability for information and travel, coupled with your gifting and your temperament Mm -hmm. to connect human beings. Like, let's face it, I went to your 75th birthday party. (laughs) It's not your average birthday party, right?
0: (laughs) No, Which I had no clue it was going to be It was a surprise party. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: But it was about 500 of your closest friends (laughs) traveling from around the world to celebrate you. Mm. And, Peb, I I do believe that God has anointed you to be one of the most connected, if not Mm. the most connected person in Christendom. And God has used that gifting to build relationships and bridges through different communities that otherwise would never— Um, get the privilege of prospering through those connections. So talk to me about these layers of Mm. how adventure and risk fit into this this network of relationship that I believe is unparalleled on the earth. You know, what
0: I learned about connecting with people initially was that they all love to talk about themselves.
1: Mm.
0: So I learned early on the value of understanding conversation and questions and I, before every meeting I had uh, with people, regardless of who they were, always did some work on, on uh, sketching out four or five or six questions that I wanted to ask them, and mm. did a little d- bit of due diligence mm-hmm. and would. So there's something, and I, th- I think I, I felt like uh, the uh, the opportunity to have a conversation with somebody, yes, rather than just coming in. Cold. Yes. So there were some tactical yes processes that I went through that I think led me into even deeper into an opportunity to connect with people in a way that I probably wouldn't have mm-hmm. if I would have given into the um, what would I say? Give in to the uh, uh, to the restriction of going further because of insecurity or because I
1: wasn't prepared or something. Peb, when I think about this idea of trust and this connectedness and where God has sent you in the world, you've just seen a lot of things. You've been (laughs) exposed to a lot of stories. There's a theme that you know all too well of men mishandling power. You've, yeah. you've seen it personally in governments and communities and churches and businesses yeah. um, in big organizations. I noticed the theme that the more power entrusted to men, the greater the mm-hmm. temptation yeah. to not handle it well. And yeah. it exposes yeah. the unfinished places in us, the uninitiated places in us. You, I am guessing— yeah. Uh, I suspect that you have seen some terrible tragedies. Yeah. You have seen um the devastation of of kingdoms. Let yeah. we use that term because a man doesn't respond to that love, to that pursuit. Yeah. Uh, from your vantage point yeah. because you've seen the falling and rising of kings and their kingdoms, what would you say to a younger man?
0: This was fodder for a really long conversation. And I and I love it because um because we've seen a lot of guys go off the rails. Even recently, you've seen that. I mean, you've talked, you've had innumerable conversations. And so what? what is it? What's the hedge? Uh, what's the deterrent to yes. that happening and tearing somebody up? I don't think it's formulaic to say that I do think there are things that are fundamental to somebody uh, preventing some things happening. I believe that in... In almost every man's life, there comes a time when there's um, when they ha- there's a, they hang into balance in making a decision one way or the other, um, and and it's enticing, especially if you're oriented to adventure and risk. Yes, and um, I can say that hey, there's I mean I can think of more than once, not numerous, but more than once there was a a time, and there was a particular time when I just knew that i was uh, I was a f- a really significantly affected by uh, something that was bothering mm-hmm. me to my to my heart and mm-hmm. my bones, but somehow God gave me um, the, eye, the the thought mm-hmm. that I really needed to talk to somebody, and I needed to confess i don't even know where that thing where that came Mm. from where did the idea of confessing even come from Mm. so i called my friend i said i got to see you today he said well let me change something around i can still remember the restaurant i can remember the table i can remember telling him this in maybe 10 minutes i have no idea how he responded didn't make any difference the confession Mm was the issue, and it popped the balloon. And I can tell you that a lot of the people I know that have uh, gone off the rails over decades of some habit that was out of character for yes. them completely that nobody knew anything about. And, um, and I think all of us as guys at one time or another could be prone and vulnerable to that exact Factor mm. of just letting it slide; it doesn't hurt anybody. You layer it with justification, and uh, and then all of a sudden, all hell breaks loose. Mm.
1: And I hear you saying, it, the the theme in many of those stories was it started small.
0: It started small and
1: built over time. Exactly. And so the intervention of just a simple, honest confession when it's small yeah. to say, "I know something's not right. Something's not well with my soul. Yeah, I need right. help." but you're saying those disasters could have been averted if there were an early confession. I mean,
0: you know, it's not a scientific position that I'm taking on this. I think it's just uh, experiential. Yes. Uh, I think it's reality. I do think, and I I probably should study a little bit more about the power of confession. I know there's a huge, I mean, part of the Catholic Church has been built on the whole idea of confession, so there is something there. But I think for younger guys, uh, there's something about holding in uh maybe a transgression uh, and it may not be a sexual thing it It could be something on income taxes. I remember a young guy told me one time that he was in Boy Scouts, and he actually um uh, they put money into a kitty here, and when nobody was looking mm-hmm. he put took some money out of it. just something like that that yes. starts and it 's a little bit of a risk. Mm. Mm. And so for some reason, I think a lot of guys are are attracted to that. I'm attracted to risk. Yes, you are. Right, we're made for risk. <laughs> yeah. So, so the downside of it is that um, you can do that, and then you do it again because it doesn't hurt anybody. You kind of layer on experiences, and then all
1: of a sudden, something happens decades down the road. I think where it resonates is that idea that we minimize. And we justify, yeah. and we insulate ourselves from the intervention of God yeah. that's wanting to come to bring healing, to bring repair work, to bring an internal integrity yeah. where we find peace. I remember there was a situation as a boy, and uh, where I stole something, and I didn't tell anybody, and it was decades later. Mm. That I found myself compelled to confess when in and of itself, it wasn't big, yeah, but it was big in me. yeah, it it took root. and it it, it almost was an open door to constantly accuse me of you're not who you say you are, <laughs> right? You're an <laughs> imposter in all these other well, realms where so there was even integrity it was a and truth. Thing, it was still. A huge exactly. thing, exactly to your integrity, right? And I remember the power, peb, of of confessing to a dear friend, totally out of different season of life, different geography, and just what it did in me. It's interesting. Yeah. There was an effect of freedom to saying that that you you no longer are are in bondage to that reality. Oh,
0: well, what a blessing! Yeah, I mean that, that that's a uh, that alone their bondage. Or shackled. Yes, it's a good word. Is something that um, that I'm not sure that pe- people who were in that. I'm not sure I was was even willing to call it what mm. it was, which is the nature of the beast. Yes,
1: yes. And uh,
0: and so I'm I'm uh, I really appreciate this conversation yeah. about that because it is fundamental to guys living a life and integrity. All the way through in their marriages, their relationship with the Heavenly Father, their relationship with their friends. I can't tell you how many people I know, and you know as well, uh, many more, I'm sure, that uh, um, um, no one knows
1: that side of them. Yes. Well, you were telling me a story we were having lunch recently where, you know, a powerful man took a huge fall. And what you said was he had. Everyone fold and you said it with sorrow
0: yeah
1: like there was this insulation that his wealth <laughs> that his power had given him to his own demise yeah and yeah i, I drove away from your house yeah. remembering that story thinking yeah. god may i not self-insulate yeah. because we don't see ourselves clearly and it made me just reevaluate who are the men In my life that have daily visibility where even if I think there is not need of confession, they see the vulnerability and they call me out into a higher place of freedom, life, repentance. And and I have those people, but there were times where I didn't. I think of the boy from Kansas yeah. you know and the chip off the old block yeah. like his dad that he could fly in circles with dignitaries and governments and yeah. fame and not be swayed yeah. to come human to human and heart to heart to be curious yeah. and to know that you are ambassador of something and someone beyond this world, yeah. there's dignity in yourself and there's dignity in the people you connect with. And I'm just seeing in yeah. this interview, I think that's the thread that's woven this tapestry together. Yeah.
0: Well, that's that probably comes from, a, from my background, my history, my tapestry that uh, God has woven through my family, through my experiences as a kid, through Lots of things I've been privileged, but then you know a lot of people will have, in the midst of that, uh, profound tragedies, or things that happen that uh, that that slay them, that that crush their spirit. You see that all the time. So what's the difference between somebody who takes uh, something that crushes a spirit and a and afflicts them for the rest of their life or takes them and, uh, and creates a kind of an atmosphere in their life that they can take it and not let
1: it crush them. And what would you say? Because I have a friend right now that's right in that place, that it seems that they're in the place of affliction that's yeah. leading towards just a, a spiral of death. Yeah. When you can see it, could be their greatest power.
0: <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, again, I don't know. I don't know that it's formulaic, but uh, somehow a person who is, is in that feeds the beast too. It's all, I mean, it's they're obsessed, they're consumed with the incident yes. or something like that. Somehow they have to get themselves outside of themselves. Yes. And one of the things I wanted to mention. Is it uh, a big part of my life, and I think it's for it's a big thing for anybody who's in what we're talking about here right now. Mm-hmm. Is um, is the issue of um, both the nature fix, getting outside, mm-hmm. and uh, extending oneself physically. Mm-hmm. It's a huge thing for me. Is spending myself until I have nothing left from a physical perspective mm. as a cyclist, as a runner, as a climber, as whatever, somehow that um, that experience doing that, and it doesn't have to be something that's a world-class thing. Mm-hmm. It's just understanding what it's like to go out and spend bend yourself, Yes. extend yourself. You and I have talked about that Mm -hmm. a little bit even in cycling and and things. And I think, I don't think there's a substitute for somebody who's deep into the abyss of something that's bad, getting outside of themselves. And to me, the nature fix and being able to extend themselves
1: physically is a part of the antidote. Mm. I think of that (laughs) poignant scene in Forrest Gump yeah. Where Lieutenant Dan was intended, his destiny was to die on the fields in Vietnam, yeah. and Forrest Gump saved his life, yeah. right? And he ends up a double amputee, yeah. And the story unfolds that Forrest Gump ends up in a and boat captain, right? <laughs> yeah. And yeah. there, yeah. and Lieutenant Dan shows up, and then the yeah. hurricane comes, yeah. And Lieutenant Dan climbs the mast, and yeah. you think the guy's gone mad, yeah. And yeah, and. Then, what a riveting scene! It's a riveting scene, and why? Like, what, what? As I call to that mind, that scene, and you, you know that scene. Yeah. What? How do, does it relate to what you're saying?
0: Yeah, because he 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 had to. Uh, uh, some people could be f- so fearful they they're paralyzed because of the circumstances at the moment, unable to to go beyond uh, what the. uh uh, the prison of the mind, the prison of mm-hmm. the circumstance. So somehow to do something, climb a mast or whatever the sur- situ- situation might be, at least this is how I interpret it, it gets them outside of that prison that they're locked yes. in. Yes,
1: yes. It breaks this subconscious belief that we are the author of our story, that yeah. we're the center of reality. Yeah. and And – I hear in it, you know, Pas- Pascal's idea of the dignity of causality, that we are bestowed with the extraordinary capacity yeah. to choose yeah. and have dignity in our choice, while at the same time we're not the center yeah. of reality. We were born into a story, and in yeah. the center of that story is a God who is deeply personal and is deeply pursuing us.
0: Yeah. Oh, I love the idea. I love how you bring it back. To an understanding of uh, the Heavenly Father's involvement, somehow taking ourselves outside of ourselves and placing God in the mix there, asking Him to intervene because we're unable to do it ourselves. Yes. The only thing that can happen, from my perspective, is calling on asking the Holy Spirit
1: yes. to intervene. Well, even in our conversation offline before we started, we were swapping hunting yeah. uh, stories yeah. from this fall, and I was at a place where I was packing out an elk, and I was sharing with you, I was at a physical point of exhaustion uh, yeah. beyond any point I would come to in physically packing out this animal, and it was yeah. a situation where um, my hunting partner was having health challenges, and... Yeah. It was me versus a bear, and You're I didn't. beyond the, yourself. I was beyond myself, and yeah. I knew that I needed God's help to mm. safely um, extradite this this uh, regal creature from yeah. the wilderness, and myself, and yeah. my partner. And it brought me to a holy place of just utter dependency. Of I can't do this alone. Yeah. I need God's guidance. Yeah. I need His counsel. I need His power. Yeah, and it's mm. really good to feel small yeah. in a world that constantly inundates us with the message that we're yeah. very big, we're very powerful, and yeah. we're in control. And that's what Wilderness Pursuits give me.
0: One of the most powerful books for me in the last 10 years is Boys in the Boat.
1: Mm. And, I absolutely love and that. it. And it's probably in my top 20 of all books. What's fascinating about that story that comes to mind, Peb, is they were the underdogs, right? The Yo, elite yeah. rowing teams were all well, they, East they, Coast, right? Yeah, it was yeah, a, right? It was a white-collar world, and right. they were blue-collar boys. And they were pushed by a coach that under—it was almost like a Holy Spirit yeah. coach, like the horse whisperer that knew yeah. their potential. And for me, yes. the turning point in the book was that moment where they— trained so hard in that brutal weather and they were broken down yeah. to a point where they realized they could never win
0: yeah. without
1: becoming one. Yeah. Their right. team had to be one yeah. and rowing right. is not an individual sport. Exactly. And so it was not only the physicality, but actually breaking them to a point where they actually had to love yeah. each other yeah. in their suffering. There's a moment <laughs> when uh, Daniel James Brown You know, the author describes in just these poignant words of the beauty of in their suffering, they came to the truest place of themselves and the truest place of each other, and they were functioning as one man.
0: Yeah. Uh, That's one reason that rowing, the eights in particular, the heavyweights, are my most admired team sport, because all those guys were not the exact same physically. Some of them were stronger than others, but they had to be totally in sync, totally.
1: It's interesting <laughs> to immerse ourselves in something other than ourselves, to think that in this world that's just fast and furious, you know more and more, faster and faster, up and to the right, at which we are the the centerpiece of our story. yeah, and we know that's not true, right? No, but that's right. where we find our days. It's a fascinating invitation you're giving us to say, how would you get lost in something that actually removes you from yourself? Yeah. That you're no longer the center of your attention. Yeah. Your focus is on something else, and ultimately, in that, we find God. Yeah. We're we're talking about a lot of outdoor adventure pursuits, and in all of them, there's no shortcuts. You know, one of the unspoken themes is there's no way to get there without lots of experiences of the flat tire on the bike, yeah. getting lost in, on, in the mountains. Yeah. There's the artistry of casting on water. And then there's the intricacy of tying a knot, Yeah, you know, and just the beauty of the right knot yeah, at the right, right moment. And mm. then you're trying to add a piece of tippet beauty to of a fly leader, machine. right? All the different layers of it. Yeah. And you go it it takes a sort of craftsmanship yeah. to be able to have it all to come together and yeah. eventually have a tight line.
0: Yeah. So it's it's to a certain degree it's going getting into the rhythm, getting into the culture, getting into the world of that. And uh how do you teach that?
1: Mm. Well, back to your comment of sometimes it's just taking a walk with someone. Yeah. I wonder if one of the kindest things we can do is to invite someone to take the next step right in the worlds of adventure and risk and daring that we'd say come along come with us
0: yeah you know what i don't think um and when you're in a position of leadership i don't think we fully understand the magnitude of asking a younger person for example um to to uh to come for a walk or have a cup of coffee or something like that, um, I've been told years later uh, they never forgot it. Mm. I had no idea that it had that much influence or that much um,
1: that much of of, um, of impact. Mm. The story of Bono and Eugene. Mm. Tell me about that. Of just knowing Pep Jackson, yeah, who Pep Jackson is, can you give a little bit of let the me history tell you, and let where me tell that you led you. you? As
0: quickly as I can, uh, uh, so it's um, when I was with Rick Warren, and I was uh, I was in Los Angeles at a film premiere with Ann Schutz's people, mm-hmm. and I was at a dinner the night of that uh, premiere, and um, the guy ran uh, Staples Center was there. And, um, he, he, and I'd known him a little bit. He said, Hey, uh, you two's there. Uh, you two's tomorrow night at uh Staples center and you want to go well, you can have our box. And I said, absolutely. I ne- never heard it. So um, I called up I called up Rick and said, Hey, you got to get up here because we can, we got backstage passes afterwards and everything. We can go see Bono. And, and so, um, Uh, So all that happened. I'll try to cut to the chase, and then afterwards we're down, down below uh, the arena, and um, and all the all these Hollywood glamour were there. I mean Chris Rock and and Brad Pitt and all of these other people in this kind of green room. And I knew if if we had to wait until to see Bono uh, until he came into that room, we'd never get a chance to spend time. So I went out in the hallway. And here comes Bono with a couple of people. And I said, hey, my name is Pep Jackson. You don't know me, but you know Rick Warren. Because they had correspondence. He says, is Rick here? And he went up to Rick and uh, took Rick's hand like this, put it to his chest, and just went like this for about 30 seconds without saying anything. Mm-hmm. Almost uncomfortable. And uh, then we had maybe 10 or 15 minutes with Brad Pitt and Chris Rock and all these people circulating around us. I think there were four of us there with Bono and we were praying and other things. I mean, it was like a surreal mm-hmm. experience. And, and so, so Bono and I became uh, kind of friends at that time. And I was with him in in uh, Davos for an hour and a half, having a beer in a in mm-hmm. a uh, bar and talking about Eugene Peterson, because Eugene Peterson, he told me was the one man in the world he wanted to meet. And, um mm-hmm. uh, and there was a whole bunch of other stories around that time in Davos, but said so, you know, I think I can make that happen. So, by the way, uh, the guy who I was talking about, who was the front page of Wall Street Journal, yes. that's that's uh, Jim Bacinius in Oregon, who gave us his Falcon nine hundred to fly with Rick to Africa, and then and then uh, we took his plane and went fly fishing in the Seychelles, Mm. and then uh, went to Davos, and then went to uh, Washington, D.C. for the prayer breakfast, and Bono was speaking at the prayer breakfast. So I told Bono I would get this book called Run With the Horses to him. Do you
1: you know the book? Right here. You recommended it, and I've been devouring it.
0: Yeah. So uh, I spent about three hours trying to find this book because it was out of print in DC. Found one copy at the Paul's Church, and um, gave it to him after he spoke, and he couldn't believe I found it. And then he and then a few months later, I was with him in Dallas, and he and he told me it was one of the most important books he's ever read. He's given it to a number of people, not because it's a, not a linear read mm-hmm. about, but it's about Jeremiah. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've read through it much. Yet. I have, It's twice. got nuggets like crazy in it, yes. doesn't it. The last page and a half is one of the great final pages, I think, um, I've ever read. I don't know if you've gotten there yet. I have. Um, about uh, the fact, what is success in mm. essence? Faithfulness. Mm. Not numbers, necessarily. It's unbelievable. Mm. And uh, so, anyway, Bono comes walking up and— has this book and says it's a super important book to him. And then lots of things happened after that with them, with Eugene. And he invited Eugene and Jan and Sharon and me down to the Dallas. They flew us down there, had seats for us. Eugene didn't even, he'd never been to a rock concert. He's the furthest thing from a the type of guy who would like um uh, other other pastors well-known Christian leaders yeah. who were trying to get to Bono yes Bono didn't I mean he messed he he mixed it up with Bill Hybels and and all those guys but uh, the guy he wanted to spend time with was Eugene mm. Peterson which tells you something about Bono yes Because Eugene Peterson did you ever meet him
1: no, I never did oh, well he was
0: one of the least charismatic guys in history. Mm. Um, he never had a church of more than 300 or so, but he had, to, he's a guy that Bono wanted to spend time with. So anyway, he flew us down there concert Bono. I mean, Eugene's Eugene's just mesmerized. And then they, they have a caravan. They go to the airport to get on there, tricked out 737 and take us to, uh, Houston for the next concert. And, uh, he puts Eugene and Jan in the in the in the in the front car uh black limousine with him, which is usually well known people and which is unusual in and of itself. And then we get on the plane and then he says, Well, where's your wife? and uh she's back there. So he goes and spends fifteen minutes with her talking about everything and and then um and during that concert was when he shouted out her names. Mm-hmm. And then the next day, I'll finish with this, uh, he spent about, he spent all afternoon with Eugene and, mm-hmm. and his uh, wife, Jan, his, his uh, I don't know if you knew this, but they had a chaplain who traveled with them, mm-hmm. full-time chaplain, who was their guidance counselor for the whole band when they were in high school in wow. Ireland. And oh, he wow. became an Anglican priest. It chills you to almost think about this. There's way deeper stuff here than most people would even know. So he spent all day or all afternoon, uh, had lunch. And then they they wanted time just with Eugene and Jan and they were prayed, read scripture. And, uh, you know, the only thing Gene, uh, Eugene and Jan said to us at dinner afterwards, we didn't really ask him questions. He said it was precious. Mm. It was precious. So um it tells you something about Eugene, tells you something about Jan, I mean about uh Bono, I think, in terms of his heart and what was important to him. Because he actually felt like one of his, I know that one of his conversations he told me was one of his conversations, what's going to happen to him when all this, all this worldly stuff goes away? Uh, what happens to a guy yeah. like that when Maybe he can no longer—he had problems with his voice. Mm. Uh, he couldn't sing for a long time. Mm. And uh, and I remember Edge said, well, he couldn't sing anyway. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, anyway, beautiful. I'm sorry to go on and on, it's but great. it is a great story. Oh, it is. And, Peb, it oh. says a lot about you yeah. because you were the connector, right? Yeah. You took the risk right back to where we started, where you said it was adventure— and you took a risk because you saw a destiny for two hearts to connect yeah, yeah. and to um, learn from each other and grow and, and bring the kingdom in those mysterious, faith-filled ways that we can't even name, yeah. and you were at your post.
0: Yeah. Well, again, it goes back to the idea of being a good steward of whatever God gives you. Yes. And I felt—I felt—, I felt fully in the center of where God wanted me at that point, Mm. that somehow I was privileged to be there, to be a key player. And I've hesitated to tell the story too much because, again, I didn't want to call attention to myself. I wanted it to be on on that relationship between the two of them. And you'll find this video, if you haven't seen it, to be interesting because they were Bono flew up to Kalispell where uh, Eugene and Jan lived on on flathead lake bono flew up there in his plane and didn't take anybody else with him and bono sang the 23rd psalm a cappella to eugene sitting there with him mm. i don't think eugene really knew even how to how to take it all in and they talked about how the psalms were the entree to real understanding of faith in god
1: Friends, it's so very rare to spend time in conversation with a man who has spent more than seven decades pursuing the heart of God in his kingdom. As we close this podcast, we are getting close to the most important, perhaps, portion of any podcast that you know with this mission of Become Good Soil. becoming a king, is the silence, the 45 seconds I build into every podcast at the end of the recording. My hope, above all else, is to create pause for you. It's been said in this modern world, this age of constant acceleration, that anytime we can help another person slow down, we create a sacred gift for them, And so in every BGS podcast, you hopefully are aware there is an awkward pause at the end, 45 seconds of nothing, to give you the invitation and the permission just to be, to be still and know that God is here. And so before we turn to the pause, I want to close with a quote by David White on Friendship that in some ways encapsulates the person that Peb has become and the effect that he's had with so many in this world. David White says this, Friendship is a mirror to presence and a testament to forgiveness. Friendship not only helps us see ourselves through another's eyes, but can be sustained over the years only with someone who has repeatedly forgiven us for our trespasses, as we must find it in ourselves to forgive them in turn. A friend knows our difficulties and shadows and remains in sight, a companion to our vulnerabilities more than our triumphs, when we are under the strange illusion that we do not need them. An undercurrent of real friendship is a blessing exactly because it's Elemental form is rediscovered again and again through understanding and mercy. All friendships of any length are based on a continued mutual forgiveness. Friends, receive that as a gift. Enjoy your sacred pause, and we'll be back together for another episode of the Become Good Soil podcast.